Welcome to a new episode of the Film at Lincoln Center podcast. This week, we're featuring a Q&A from the 60th New York Film Festival for Return to Seoul. Director Davy Chow and actor Park Ji Min discuss their main slate selection with artistic director Dennis Lim. Park Ji Min plays Freddie, a young Frenchwoman who finds herself spontaneously tracking down the South Korean birth parents she has never met while on vacation in Seoul. From this seemingly simple premise, Cambodian French filmmaker Davy Chow spins an unpredictable narrative that takes place over the course of several years, always staying close on the roving heels of its impetuous protagonist, who moves to her own turbulent rhythms, as does the galvanizing park, a singular new screen presence. Chow elegantly creates a probing psychological portraiture from a character whose feelings of unbelonging have kept her at an emotional distance from nearly everyone in her life. It's an enormously moving film, made with verve, sensitivity, and boundless energy. The Sony Pictures Classic release is now in limited theaters and will expand in the coming weeks. Let's go to the conversation now. Thank you both. I know it's been, uh, I know you've just arrived from, actually from Korea. Yeah, absolutely. We just uh, screened the film for the first time in Korea in Busan Film Festival, which is the largest uh, film festival in Asia. So it was a very, very, very special screening. Yeah. What was that like? Well, it's... Because the, the, the film obviously talks about a topic that is a national wound, let's say, in, in Korea, but it's a very famous topic, although we try with that film to offer a different perspective, free from the adoptive perspective, but also, uh, I guess, a, a fiction that is a bit more harsh and brutal than the mm -hmm. usual adoption story as it is told and received. And the reaction was amazing. They, yeah, they, they reacted very strongly to her character, um, Jimin, uh, Freddie, sorry. Sometimes I <laughs> confuse the two. Um, they really had a very strong reaction to the, to the character, to her freedom, to her way of dealing and confronting with things that felt for them unusual in the frame of Korean cinema. That's what they said. Yeah. So that was very special. I guess I'm just going to pull back a little bit and ask you how sure. you ended up, you know, how you came to this film. Um, Neither one of you is adopted, right? But I am not. Adopted. Never. On n'est pas adopté. Adopté. No, no, no. <laughs> but I think you both, I assume, have thought about just, just transcultural questions and, and assimilation. Um, and I'm just wondering what led you, Davy, who um, you are French, yeah. um, of Cambodian descent um t and your previous films were actually in made in cambodia absolutely um what led you to make a film about adoption in korea the um, the, the the story orgi originates itself from my very first trip in korea actually again at Busan film festival that was in 2011 i was showing my first film which you named before golden slumbers and it was my first time in korea and then before coming one of my best friends who inspired freely in that film her name is laure badufle we studied together and she phoned me and she said I just took one week holidays. She's as uh, impulsive as Freddie in the film. And I'm going to show you my country. That's what she framed it. And I was surprised because when we were studying together, she'd never been to Korea before. And so she will not never name Korea as her country. But at that time, she already spent two years there. She met her biological father and her mom also once, like in the film. And things didn't go well, so she went back to France. So when she accompanied me to Busan Film Festival, she made it very clear to say... I'm going to show you Busan and Korea, but we're not going to meet my father because I don't like him. That's what she said. So, okay, no problem. I didn't ask for anything. And after two days discovering the joy of soju, the Korean alcohol, which you see like heavily consumed in the film, she just told me that she texted her father and she's going to meet the day after in Jinju, which is one hour and a half bus drive from Busan. And she asked me, do you want to come with me? 
So I of course said yes, and then I was exactly like Tena in the film, like brought to an unexpected, unexpe unexpected trip. And one and a half later, I was sitting in front of her father from Korea and her grandma, eating that kind of um, chicken soup like in the film. So not to say that everything in the film is based on my experience and her life, but that was the first thing, the first time that I experienced that moment. And I, I just kept it in mind. I, I felt to be at that time like in a Ozu, never film Ozu scene where... Mm -hmm family uh, gathering brought so much complexity in terms of emotions, of terms of unexpressed feelings, um, broken histories that can't heal as uh, fast as that. And yeah, I just kept that idea in mind. So after Diamond Island in 2017, I was thinking of making a film in France and I, I was kind of struggling and I rethought of that idea. So I, I went to meet her. She was living in London selling weapons at that time because that's also is something I couldn't wait, invent so myself. Wait, she she was a weapons dealer as well? Yeah, for 10 years. And um, she's okay for me to display that. I, I would not dare if not. And uh, so I, I talked to her for the first time and confessed what I didn't confess to her that I would like to make a film about her life and what what would she think about that? And she was very enthusiastic immediately. So after that, a few weeks later, I received a long um, documents of 40 pages of all her experience with Korea, but also her growing up in France as an adoptee, and that became, became the basis of the film, yeah. Can you um, tell us about, I guess since Jimin is here, uh, I think many people who saw this film in Cannes were astonished to realize that you had never acted before this film. <laughs> so. Thank you. <laughs> Davey, how did you find her? Um, I think it was a miracle, actually, because, uh, you know, sometimes you write a script and you just put all your dreams into paper. And, yeah, especially when it's not, it's not, it's, it's not I haven't made 10 films, right? So I'm still a totally a dreamer and I, you don't think of the difficulties you're going to see after. So once I finished it, I was like, okay, now we need to find an actress, but who can play that? And the thing is that I, um, I immediately wanted to, to work with someone with Korean origins, not just an Asian-French actress, which we can find, but as this film really deals with origins, mm -hmm. cultures, and identities, I wanted to find someone with Korean origins. And the Korean immigration and second generation of immigration in France is not very big. It's not like in America, for example. So facing that limitation, I make a casting with a lot of Korean adoptees, actually. I met a lot. It was a fascinating and rich experience to confront my script with them, to discuss, to listen to their stories. But I couldn't find the right one. First, because I didn't find someone that would share the anger and the force that Freddie in the writing has. But also because uh, demographically, that history of Korean adoption is a bit from people born in the end of the 70s or the early 80s. So they were kind of older than what I was looking for. And then one day I was in Locarno Film Festival. I talked with an artist who happens to be a Korean adoptee. We, and I talked to him a lot about the film, about the character, and at the end of that long talk, he told me that I should meet his friend Park Jimin because even, she's, even if she's not adoptee, many of what I was explaining about Freddie and her trajectory make him feel like something that was resonating with Jimin. So we met in Paris, first around a coffee uh, for like two hours where we were just like sharing about our life, I think, her, your life and mine, and having this kind of talk that ended up being very quickly some kind of form of friendship, I would say, even before working together. But at the end of that coffee, I, I remember very clearly that I was thinking, if she can act, means that if she can be natural in front of a camera, 
then for sure she's going to be the one because everything we talk about was resonating so much about many things about the film. Uh, so yeah, that's how we met. I don't know if you have a different version of our meeting. Mm, not really, no. It's, no, sorry, he, he talks too much. Yeah, so I talk I, a lot, sorry. I don't know I what don't happened to me. <laughs> I don't have the, the space to, to talk, but yeah, he, he said pretty much the, the whole beginning. Yeah. But what was your what was your response to the script? Um, uh, at first, I I didn't have like the desire to act at all because I I I'm an artist and I'm really I'm a visual artist and I'm really happy to to do my work my art and when I met Devi I, I was not. Uh, thinking at all about like oh maybe I, I can like be part in 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 his movie, and I met I uh, I I wanted to meet him because I wanted to talk about uh, Korea because I'm I I was born there uh, I moved to France when I was nine, so yeah I just wanted to to meet some some. Yeah, some guy who works in in film industry. Yeah, so, uh, but I don't know when after the, after this meeting at the cafe, we I I we went home and the 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 this same night he he sent me a mail and asked me if I wanted to to do a camera testing camera test and. At first, I was like, "Why?" and and I don't know this this common friend we have. He he's a Korean-born adopted in in French family, so we talked a lot about about the adoption thing because it's a very big part of our country, like Korea and also France and Europe and also United States. Yeah. So I I think it was like a very important thing to I don't know to be part in a project like that and yeah I but it took me quite a long time to to really accept the the project and I really actually I really accept it like an an a hundred percent when just like two months before the shooting, mm. uh, one month and a half. Yeah, maybe Davy will explain to you because he wants to talk a lot. <laughs> no, I didn't ask anything. Um, no, but the thing is that um, we did some camera tests and it went very well. She never acted, so of course we knew that there was some work ahead of us, uh, rehearsal, but also just how I used to work with non-professional in my previous film, Diamond Island in Cambodia. Here was very different, but that was something I was not afraid of. And so, and Jimin was not as well. So it was more about how to spend time together. I think, I think for me, it's all about trust, how to give to an actor or an actress the trust in themselves that they can do it, the trust in me that they can follow directions and also the trust in the other actors. So we spent time in that. But the unexpected thing that happened uh, for me, and I guess for you as well, was that uh, after a few months of not seeing each other, because I live in Cambodia, and Jimin was in Paris, and she was having some exhibition uh, for her work, and when we met again, that was maybe like um, spring last year, 
she came to me and she said, well, I know I was um, supposed to make rehearsal, starting rehearsal with her and uh, the other cast because there is other non-professional in the film like Guka Han who plays Tena, the best friend in the first part, or Emeline Briffaut, the French actress who is Corinne adoptee in the second part. They're also non-professional. So I wanted really like to have some kind of workshop to be sure that when we are in Korea, people don't feel like too shy and we are ready to shoot because time is already always very short. Anyway, so when, when uh, we met Ben again, Jimin told me that uh, she read the script again and actually she has some question that she would like to talk to, to about before working in rehearsal and I was thinking okay that's cool maybe we're gonna spend like half an hour one hour and after we can start working but that didn't happen that way so we basically opened the script and she would like question every scene like nearly every dialogue to like question me like why is the the, the the character is doing that what does she think exactly why is the her boyfriend or Andre the arm dealer is telling that to her and then she doesn't react and it was kind of super challenging and unexpected to me because they had to justify every different decision and sometimes you know and sometimes also you write out of instinct and so I was kind of caught not sometimes. So did it did it change based on Jimin's it, it, uh, it did change, and I think if if he hadn't changed, maybe um, yeah, uh, she I wouldn't have been in the film, it. right? Yeah. yeah, exactly. Yeah, <laughs> she's as strong as Freddie in the film. So I let you guess, like, yeah, this kind of thing. So no, it was uh, we're laughing now, but at that time it was it was it was it was hard. It was a hard time. It was an amazing time retrospectively, but at the moment it was really one of the biggest challenges I had to face to confront to her perspective, but not also her perspective, but I would say her pain, actually, yeah, because it was course. about confronting myself to her perspective, having an experience that is closer to Freddie's experience than my experience, being an Asian, French woman growing up in France. So, yeah, we had a very, very long debate until the point that... Yeah, we, that we, we have, the, we have a, a deconstruction yeah. work together. Yeah. And because Davy is obviously a man, and he's yeah. he's doing a movie about a, a female character, a strong female character, and obviously he cannot like feel deeply what a a, a woman uh, endure like in 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 life, the violence that that women yeah um, are experiencing. yeah experiencing. So I was like, yeah, Debbie, you I'm sorry to tell you that it 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 has like your script has like the male gaze. Like in so if you don't change, if you don't work with me, uh I I can't I can't do the this movie because I, I, I can't do something I would be ashamed like politically. So yeah, that's can you give us some can... examples? Yeah, of course. Uh, for example, there were like some dialogues uh, which were problem problematics for me. Uh, like, um, I don't know, I, I remember one dialogue that uh, uh, the, the boyfriend of Freddy at, at the uh, uh, part three uh, is telling, was telling her to her that uh he would like protect her like he w like she was a, a very uh tiny little uh protect protection needed like women and it's because also we asian women have a very strange 
image in 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 Europe and and everywhere else. I think there are a lot of uh, Asian uh, cliche Asian women like cliche cliches image. So yeah, I wanted to to change that not because I I I, I wasn't I wasn't like happy about what uh, Davis created about Freddie, but because I didn't want to show a cliche image of like Asian woman who is always kind, always like, mm, I don't know, very respectful, uh, like to, to men and yeah, that little tiny fragile things. So uh, another example is like the, the look of Freddy. Like, yeah, we, we worked a lot and I, I asked him to, to change like all, almost all her like looks. Yeah, because it was, for me, it was a, 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 a cliche, a very cliche image of like Asian woman in, yeah, in, in society. Yeah. Thank you. This podcast is supported by Netflix, presenting Guillermo del Toro's Pinocchio. The BAFTA, Golden Globe, and Critics' Choice Award winner is the most honored animated film of the year and is now nominated for the Academy Award for Best Animated Feature. Variety calls it an exquisite masterpiece. ABC News raves, Guillermo del Toro displays next-level craftsmanship that is jaw-dropping. It's a brilliant and deeply moving reimagining of the classic tale that proves that animation is cinema and reminds us that life is the journey and love is the reward. Guillermo del Toro's Pinocchio is playing in select theaters and available on Netflix. And to experience Guillermo del Toro's Pinocchio, plan your visit to the Crafting Pinocchio exhibition at MoMA in New York, running now through April 15th, for your awards consideration. I'll just add that, um, to be very honest, I think that uh, Jimin never tried to defend her own interests, but really the interests of the character. If we go back to the example of uh, Maxime, uh, I wrote a line and when she says that I feel uncomfortable here being in Korea, I'm in danger. And he was saying just like, I will protect you. And then Jimin was really strong to say, after seven years of this journey and like confrontation of Freddie, it's impossible that she will accept her French boyfriend to say, I will protect you. She will, she will like break up with him immediately. Mm -hmm. So that was, that was something that was challenging because yeah, you need to re-question yourself and it's not easy in, in the position of someone who has written for three years, but there was always some relevancy and something very interesting from the perspective that maybe I would not be able to clearly see without her putting the light on it. So. As you can guess, that was not an easy experience, actually, but I was, I'm so grateful to have it, actually, and I think it did transform not only the film, because basically the, the 3D that you see on screen, you understand now, is a really a result of that collaboration and that process, collective process of the two of us and maybe like the other people in the film, but a real transformative process for me as well as a director for future films, for sure. So, the, the, the film you know, tells the story through the lens of an adoptee, but... There is this larger question of um, just trying to find one's identity or like the, a return to one's roots or you know origins, yeah. and um, I'm wondering if you can talk about it on on that level because you know I think 
uh, maybe both of you, but Davy, I know that you, you know, you grew up in France yeah. and then it was, you know, going to Cambodia um, as a young man that you started making work. And your first, your documentary was actually a way to, to look at Cambodian cinema, but also at, at, at family, um, personal history. So if we can talk about the film on, on that level, not even though, you, you know, it's not about the experience of, of being adopted, it's still about experience, uh, an experience of return. Absolutely. Um, my parents were born in Cambodia and they came to France in 73, two years before the Khmer Rouge. And when the Khmer Rouge took power, they had to stay in France and they lost basically all our family there. So they had no choice than to stay in France. So that's why I was born there in the early 80s and without knowing anything about the country of my parents. And when I started making short films and thinking of making film as a career in France, uh, one story came back to me, which is that my grandfather, who I never met, I always heard that it was into movie industry in Cambodia. But again, because the past was some kind of very opaque uh, zone, I would not really know. So I started asking questions. I was, I was 20 something. And then I discovered, making some research, that he was the biggest producer of film in terms of number of film produced in Cambodia from 1960 to 75, which is basically the, the golden age of Cambodian cinema before the Khmer Rouge, which took power in 75. And that was an amazing thing. So. I decided to go there. I was 25, exactly like Freddie. And with some kind of, I would say, really the carefree spirit of Freddie, of when people were all seeing me doing my journey to the roots. That's what everybody was saying in France, that, oh, you're going back to the roots. And I was very in resistance to that. I was saying, what are you talking about? It's just that there is this amazing topic of film, and I'm going there to make a research. It happens to be the country of my parents, but it's, that's not a journey to the roots. That was in 2009, and now in 2022, I just got a baby boy two weeks ago in Cambodia. I live there, and I'm producing films there. So <laughs> thank you. So it's obviously was more more than just going there, like Freddie at the beginning, like holidays, and then go back to France, and that's finished. No, that's a first trip that transformed me deeply. But it took time to do that, and it really also affected very strongly. Mm, I would say representations I had about what identity means, um, what I was reflecting myself to be, and that kind of balance between two different cultures. So that's, of course, when I was choosing to make the film about the story of my friend, there was something obvious in the same time that I knew that I would tell a lot about my own experience between two countries, the feeling of displacement, the feeling of basically, as Freddie, going to a country where you're supposed to come from but you don't know anything about. People have the same face than you, but they look absolutely different. That's why I, in the film there is a lot of close-ups, but I think that's some kind of uh, attraction that Freddie, attraction and understanding of Freddie looking at these faces that look like her, but is not her. So pure alterity and in some time resemblance, closeness and distance. So I, I honestly put a lot of personal things in the film and I believe processing also these 10 years of being between France and Cambodia, but mostly now Cambodia, and into that eight years um, fiction of Freddie in Korea. Jimin, did you have a similar experience as somebody who yes. was born in Korea, moved to France? Yes, of course, because I moved to France when I was nine and I was always like, I, I had in my early days, I, I had a, a, a lot, a lot of questions about my roots and my identities because I, obviously I, I have two identities. So yeah, I, I spent some hard times and I think I, I didn't find 
answers yet. Maybe I will never find answers about my roots and my identities, but yeah, it's, I, I think I, I can feel what Freddie feels even if I'm not an adoptee because um, when you are not, uh, you feel not uh, at, in, at home where you're at home or where you, you are at in the country you, you are born, it's, I think it, yeah, it makes you really, it turns you, I don't know, a very extreme, uh, extreme person with a lot of paradoxes. And yeah, I don't remember the question, sorry, but I, yeah. Um, I think it's, yeah, it's quite, um, I think it's quite, actually it's quite difficult to, to have like plural identities. And I, uh, I think that's why Freddy has so much, such violence in her and such contradictions, uh, yeah, contradictions and paradox. And yeah, sorry, I, I don't remember the question. I would add as well that um, for me, we're living in a world where identity becomes such a big thing. Like, we obsess with identity. There is some kind of um, obsession as well to self-define yourself, who, to know who you are and to affirm who you are, which, which is great. But what happens when you don't feel to, to belong to any of the category or you feel to be like in between things? And I think that's what, for me, is so stimulating and refreshing with a character like Freddie, mm -hmm. because she's refusing all these kind of uh, definitions. She's refusing people to always label her, to put her in boxes. And as soon as you put her in boxes, she's just destroyed the box. And, and so she says no, and she's in resistance to all these kind of identities, um, um, uh, affirming maybe some kind of multiplicity of identities. Mm -hmm. That's how she changes uh, part after part. And it's painful for her. It looks like a painful experience because she often falls and have to stand up again. But she has this kind of uh, bravery of refusing easy labels and easy way of maybe fake reconciliation with yourself. Because if we talk about adoption story or journey to the root story, I, I watch a lot actually. It's not it's not like a unique film about it. But but I often felt frustrated with the kind of narration that you were bringing into, into these kind of films that felt to me to be a bit artificial into making things a bit too easy towarding some kind of self-reconciliation and happy ending. And my experience of life, but also talking with people who experience similar things, shows me that things maybe are not that simple. It takes time. That's why the films unfold during eight years. And maybe it takes a life to mm. understand exactly where you belong, but not only where you belong, but the right place between you and things, whether it is a country, whether it is people, whether it is your family. But so I think the film really tried to, to dig in that. Sorry. Yeah, but maybe the, the only answer we can get is that we belong anywhere. So yeah, we are like lots lost souls who yeah, who try to, to, to find some, some answers, but yeah, maybe the the the, the life is like like just the trying to 
to to find some 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 answers, but yeah, maybe we will never find like the answer of that. Yeah. You were already starting to talk about this, but um, I guess you know. I think the this is why the I think the form of the film is 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 so exciting, which is the idea that it's told in these sort of discrete like chapters, and there are multiple Freddies. Yeah. And there are multiple identities, and like she sort of like wipes the slate clean and comes back as a new person. Like every time you see her, it's like so that was part of the conception of the film. Yeah, the I, I, yeah. When when I read reviews of the film, when there is reserve about it, people will feel frustrated, and maybe is the case for some of you here that they, they wish that the first part was all the film. Mm. Like we will just follow her during this first three. But for me, it's so in, so much in contradiction to exactly the, the desire I had at the beginning, which is really. Yeah, this transformative process of healing, I would say, and of finding yourself and the huge courage and force it requires to someone like Freddie. And I think I met in my life people like yeah. Freddie and I've always been very inspired by their courage of reinventing themselves all the time and never to stay into one fixed place and one definition. It's so stimulating and that's definitely what I wanted. And that maybe that transformation, we, we hope it to arrive and to reach a point of some kind of maturity and peace. I'm not so sure it exists, actually. Mm -hmm. Although we can say that Freddie at the end of the film, in part three, when she's doing meditation, although she's selling weapons, or at the very end, uh, in that place that actually is in Romania, but she looks to be backpacking again alone. She, she, we feel that maybe she has found some sort of peace, but I'm not sure we can say she's totally at peace. That's what she said in the last text. I, I think I'm happy, but it's always uh, an hypothesis, right? So um, this kind of thing was really at the core of the project. I found it very, very powerful to see someone who will always challenge you into not being who you expect her to mm. be. Yeah. I think, yeah, I think she's a, a fighter. Yeah, she has a, a soul of a, of a fighter. She fights like every wolf that society or family wants wants to give give her and yeah she she fights every day and i think she that's the one of the the way to to respond to all that questions she has yeah in life i think we're almost out of time but maybe i can squeeze in one audience question if there is one yeah we'll go over here Sure. Um, as in many films in the film, I wanted to play with uh, heterogeneity, um, like uh, mixing different things that don't belong to the same world or the same culture, because it's basically what Freddie is, uh, some kind of alien in her own country, So, including in the music. So I decided to use some current music. Uh, some of it is a lot of old vintage songs from the 70s, rock and roll musics. I fell in love with that music the, on my first trip in Korea. Uh, and I think it's always important for a director to play with something that you have pleasure with and to give that and to share that pleasure. But there is a meaning for me, obviously, in the film that it's, you know, this old, I mean, I refer to my own experience. When I went to Cambodia, I listened all songs from Cambodian rock and roll as well. And they immediately have this taste of nostalgia that you can feel this coming from the past. But as a past, I didn't know anything about. So that's a very contrasting feeling of listening to something that comes from your past, but you don't know your past. So I wanted to play with that. But it also somehow surrounds the character of the father, I believe, because they are like very sad song full of regret. That's what we can feel. Some kind of joy of that time, maybe, but also full of regrets. And I think 
uh, yeah, it's kind of like the universe of the father that kind of like falls into her. That's why when she changed the music and dance on it, it's it's another music and more European music. But um, but there is evolution of the music. So the I work with two French composers. They're actually the one who compose all the composing music, but including the, the 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 pop song in which she dances. Many people ask if it's a famous song. Actually, they compose it for for the film. And it's an amazing song. So I hope um, it's going to be a tube. Yeah, thanks for them. Um, but um, but in the second part, uh, I use very different music, and actually I'm not a music expert, so Jimin, again, helped me a lot. Uh, doing rehearsal, I like to do a lot of games, acting games, for people to feel familiar with each other, and we also dance a lot. Uh, and I discovered that she was passionate with dancing, which I love too as well. So we dance a lot, and playing um, different kind of music, and she showed me the German techno that uh, that is playing. In, and yeah, obviously, the second part shows a Freddy that somehow has seems to have found a place where she feels good in, in Seoul, which is a very specific place, very different than the young people in the first barbecue that looks to come out of a, a K-drama from Korea. But now she's more evoluting, evolving sorry, in some kind of underground scene of Seoul nights. And so the music was also darker, as if Freddie was really digging into like the, the parties in the basement, so she's really like digging in the... In the in the stomach of uh, stomach of, of of Korea, and and in the third part there is nearly no music. That was the idea, so us having something seemingly most more peaceful. But as for me, all the film is about the idea of distance, which is basically the one question of the mise en scène, and like what distance can she find between um, this country and with her family. And in the first part, maybe the father doesn't respect the distance because he's come with all his sorrow and he's kind of vomiting his pain on her, thinking that maybe that's the right thing to do to express his regret. But Freddie just cannot stand it. She just arrived. And so he, he kind of breaks the, the, the normal distance that she would at least expect from him. So I feel that, again, it's a question of time. After these seven years, somehow the characters with maybe their own reflection and on time to digest uh, the, their stories, kind of at least during the time of a dinner, find the right distance and the music that the father plays at that moment, for me, shows that kind of, maybe that kind of perfect balance, even though it's only for 52 seconds, of finding the right place toward each other. Yeah. I'm afraid we are out of time, but um, Jimin and David, thank you so much for the film. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you. It was a real pleasure. Thank you, Dennis.